working through the book of 1 Samuel, and we've gotten all the way up to 1 Samuel 20. So we have gotten all the way through this, and we're really grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness during this time. Now, the more that we work through the text, the more complex things are understandably um, starting to get. Now, I've been trying to do my best as we've gone along to at least make it clear, make all these things relevant and relatable and make sense to us, and today will be no different. Now, if you've noticed, every week the drama seems to be increasing. Every week that we are reading, it is undoubtedly like watching a reality television show, but there are going to be some elements, and there have been, that are just a little bit different than what you probably see in our own society. Now, the main thing that we will see is that something that we have seen that has been unique in this text is the loving kindness that has been extended by primarily two men between one another. And we're going to see today that that loving kindness that extends beyond themselves is essentially the reflection of the love that Christ has had for us. Now, preferably, we will all do a deep reflection of ourselves as we listen to this word today and wonder whether or not we as well have demonstrated that handing over of ourselves that we have read about these last few weeks. So go with me, if you will. We're back in the first Samuel. We're going to start in the first verse of chapter 20. First Samuel chapter 20, starting in the verse, the first verse. It says, then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem and city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all of the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, Kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then Jonathan said to David, Who will tell me if your father's answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So they both went into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is disposed towards David, shall I not then sin and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. 
If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved even his own soul. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to jump into the word of God, it is just a reminder of the power that love has on us. God, it is so transformative. And so let us see today that if we claim at all to be Christians, not only can we be transformed by your love, but we must love others in a way that transforms them as well. Help us see this, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so the title of today's sermon is True Love Beyond and Above. And so we are reintroduced here to this deep and meaningful relationship, this friendship that exists between David and Jonathan. Now, David, being aware that Saul wants him dead, is actually seeking refuge elsewhere, but it does not stop him, even in the midst of seeking refuge from finding his faithful friend. Now, as we know, the irony has been here the whole time that that faithful friend was also the son of the man who was trying to kill him. And we can see here that when he comes back to Jonathan, you can almost feel his tone of confusion. He is bewildered. He has this great amount of angst as he questions, what have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Now, these are the words of a man who is desperate for real answers. David knows that he has not wronged or sinned against Saul, yet he has no explanation for why he is pursuing him. Y'all, it is one thing to know that you have wronged somebody and fully expect their wrath, but it is another thing when you know you haven't done anything wrong, yet you keep getting the wrath and the anger from somebody. That is an uncomfortable position to be in if you've ever been in it. It is a debilitating feeling when you know you haven't done anything wrong. Jonathan does his best attempt here to offer comfort to David by telling him, look, you're not going to die. Let it be known by you and the Lord, you will not die. He says, my dad tells me everything. There is nothing either great nor small that he doesn't disclose to me. And if he has any harm to you, he's going to disclose that to me as well. David says, you, you know he's trying to kill me. If there's one thing he will not tell you is that he wants to kill me. And so he is doing this thing again that we have noticed with Jonathan consistently, where he is placing David in a position that is greater than even his own blood father. If there is a hierarchy in the life of Jonathan, he has obviously placed David above Saul. Now, when we look at this, maybe it makes sense to us because we know the inner working of this story. We know how this all pans out. But at least put yourself in that position and try to weigh this thing out. Here we have a man, right, who knows fully well that his father is wicked. And he is making the conscious decision, I will not side with him even though I love him too. He's siding with God and with his righteousness. 
He is watching his own flesh and blood go on this manic rant who is bent to destroy his best friend. And he has to choose to either be loyal to him or be loyal to who he hates. In this, what is required of a person, y'all, is much deeper than just familial, blind loyalty. I'm not just going to be blindly loyal, Jonathan says, to my father just because he's my father. He is going in opposition to God, and I will not follow him that way. Y'all, that's not an easy decision to make. I don't care how you parse it. Specifically, you know, if going in the opposite direction of your father doesn't just mean that you're disowned, but it also may mean that you're going to be dead. It is about, though, Jonathan finding himself on the side of God's truth and God's justice. And y'all, that is not a challenge. That is the challenge. We have, every single one of us, we have these built-in mechanisms, these, these, these biases towards our own family that prevents us from seeing them always the way that we should see them. Sometimes it is the very family that it takes the longest to see that the person in their family may not be who they think they are. Because sometimes we are so close to them that we can't see with real perspective. Now, we tend to have a little bit better perspective to outsiders. But miraculously, even with Jonathan, he is able to put those feelings away with his father and for David. How is that possible? How can you love a man that you're not even related to more than you love the man that helped conceive you? Well, I think that only happens when we fix our eyes on the righteousness of God first and see all of life through the same lens that he sees it through. Jonathan has already done some unheard of things in preferring his father, David, over his father. But not the least of them is the fact that he has said, I'm putting the right to the throne on you, David. Even now, though Jonathan's convictions are unwavering and when forced to choose, he chooses faith even over family. In the life of the believer, we must go where the faith carries us. Our faith in God is never wrong. And that even means that when our family isn't going in the right direction, if loving God puts us at odds with other people because they don't love God, you must go with where the faith is carrying you. Y'all, that's not an easy thing to do. Growing up, I remember you would always see on the news these people who be related to people who had committed some sort of crime and they would be convicted of it. And oftentimes when they would interview a sister or a mom or a dad, even though they had seen that this person in their family was guilty, almost every time they begged people to forgive their child or their brother or their sister, or their niece, or their spouse. 
He said, well, you don't know. This person really has a lot of good in them. They just made a really bad decision. Almost every time, that's what you would see. That is until one day, I saw one of the teachers at my school on the news. Now, she had always been very open about her faith. Even in a public school, we knew she was a Christian. And some of you actually may remember this event. Her son had actually killed a girl on senior skip day. And when they began this interview, I look up and I see my teacher and she's weeping. And in my head, yes, okay, yeah, she's just like everybody else. She's weeping because her son's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. But then she started to talk. And I realized that she wept because she grieved over who her son was. She was grieving over what he had done, and she pleaded to the family on his behalf. I've never seen that before, but it stuck to me as a child. Y'all, there is a faith that is so deeply loving and relational that it produces no favorites in our life. There is a love that is so deeply profound and relational that we don't prefer the person that we know the best or that's the smartest or that's the best looking or that has all the qualities. There is a love that is so deeply relational that we love God through that lens and we love people the same way we have been loved. Well, how have we been loved? God loved us in a way that there are no favorites. There is no partiality. There is no more gifted. There is no God loves and one more equipped. We are all loved by God sacrificially. And that is what we see with Jonathan. He places David even over the love he has for his father. But what he does is even larger than that. He is loving sacrificially. What does that mean? We all have an idea. Y'all remember that song? It's like, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. That's us. Every one of us has a limit on our love when it is not rooted and grounded in the way that God loves us. I'll love you until you do this. I'll love you until you do that. That's not how God loved us, but that's also not how Jonathan is loved. He's not saying, I'll love you until my dad starts to hate me. He doesn't say, I'll love you until my dad takes away a throne. He says, I love you so much, I will make a covenant with you that will last with us until we die. Some of y'all may think that's beyond and above. It is. It goes far above the standard of love that we are taught in this world. I want you to ask yourself this. 
Have I loved like that in my own life? Do I love people like that? Jonathan is not loving himself first. And that is completely counter to our culture. We live in a me first, my needs, my ways type society. And it throws us to see anyone who doesn't follow that same logic. How is Jonathan able to do this? How can he seemingly and so effortlessly redirect his love? Well, I think it is found in the way that Jesus responds to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. In 839, he said, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. And then in 41, it says, if God were your father, you would love me. Well, I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Y'all, Jesus has this constant message. And it was about who were the true children and what real fatherhood actually meant. And he tells his group of Pharisees, you claim to be children of Abraham. Well, Abraham was a child of God and he did the will of his father. If you are true, true children, then you too would do the father's will. But he says you don't do the father's will. You do the will of the devil, your true father. For Jonathan, inasmuch as he had a natural father, he'd been taken over by a true father in God whose will he now did. It was no longer the will of Saul in his life. He no longer lived to please Saul. He no longer lived to usurp his throne. He lived to please God. And because he lived to please God, it affected the way he loved everybody. Having a new father, he didn't just have a new friend in David, but he had a new brother. Now, how do we know that God was really his father? Look at how he loved. Look at how he loved. It's the same with us. How will people know that we are the real Christians? Because we don't love like the world. We don't love so that things are reciprocated for us. We don't love with a hand out. We love in a way that when we give, even if the right hand doesn't know what it's doing, it is to the glory of our Father. The way that we love our spouses, the way that we love our kids, 
the way that we love our family, our friends, and even our enemies must be so different than what the world does. People will look at us and think, what do you have? How can you do this? Don't you know what they said about you? Don't you know what they did to you? Don't you know how they feel about you? Why would you keep loving them? Because do you know how I've been loved? I've disregarded God. I've crucified him over and over again, yet he has loved me anyway. Why would I not love people the way I've been loved? You know, Jesus tells that parable of the man whose debt was forgiven. And he says, and you know what he did after his debt was forgiven? He ain't going to forgive nobody else's debt. He went and he held them. He said, you owe me money. Pay me my money. He was loving like the world. Y'all, we have received this great grace and mercy and love from God. And what we have to do is pay it forward. For Jonathan... You know he was loved by God because of what he was willing to give up for David. He was not only doing that for David, but it was for his love for God. Again, he gave up his throne. How could he be so willing to give up something that was so important to him? You're going to be king and you're going to give it up? Perhaps, it's just a theory, Perhaps it is because he was so satisfied with and in the Lord that it made him sacrifice anything. See, whatever satisfies us is what holds us and what moves us. If you are satisfied with this life, then that is what your motivation will be. And we will never be able to love anyone the way that we should. This is one of those things that we can clearly see that Jesus says with that woman that we know about at that well who she was dealing with some, y'all. She comes to this well in the middle of the day being a social outcast because she didn't want anybody else to say a word to her about the fact that she had had five husbands and was living with somebody who was not her husband. And what she needs is a drink. But she was thirsting more than what she realized. However she'd gotten there, she had pinpointed that her satisfaction in life would come from her relationship with man after man after man after man after man. And when she gets to that well, guess what was there? It was a man. And as much as she had tried to be satisfied and fulfilled by her men, she was still left with a void. She was still unsatisfied. But Jesus says to her, you have come here to have your thirst quenched, but I am here to tell you that your need is even greater than what you think you need. And I can give you what you didn't know that you needed. And after this, when she 
met and was satisfied by Jesus, her life was transformed and she's running in the streets proclaiming, I just met a man. (laughs) And he told me everything about who I was, but he satisfied me. I say all that to say that Jonathan was satisfied with God. Are you? Are you satisfied with God? If not, it comes out in the way you live. It comes out in the way you love. What did Augustine say? He says, our hearts are restless until when? Until we find rest in Christ. Which means everything that we think we desire, they're just empty pursuits. Are you restless? If so, how is your restlessness affecting the way that you live and love? We can't give anybody all of ourselves without all of ourselves being first given to Christ. I want to read the rest of what happens here and then we'll we'll close in picking up at verse 18. It says, then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows on the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a boy saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on the side of you. Take them. Then you are to come for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which I have you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now I found favor in your eyes. Let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. 
And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went into the field to the appointment with David and with him and a, with a little boy. And he said to this boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to this boy and said, go and carry them into the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and they wept with one another. David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Now, yes, there is still a lot going on here, but not the least of it climaxes at this moment, this moment where Saul is willing to berate his own son and even try to kill him. Now, before that, Jonathan not only loves David, but he devises this plan to protect him. And he tells him to hide so that he can get a good feel of whether or not his dad is still angry. And he would let him know through this sign with the arrows. And he asked Jonathan where David was. But Saul knows that Jonathan isn't telling him the truth. And he lashed into this verbal assault that actually begins with him calling Jonathan's mother the word that you probably think that he called him. And he curses him and he cuts him off and he says, your throne will never be established. You will never be king, he tells him. And I can imagine this moment as he yells that at him as Jonathan angrily grabs his stuff and runs out. Saul probably leans back thinking that'll bring him back. If nothing else, the throne will bring him back. Because he wants to be king. But remember, Jonathan already gave it up. Jonathan already decided this is not going to be my kingdom. He had already said, David, this will be yours. And it's this beautiful thing because just like Saul here, the enemy oftentimes tries to use things that we think are important to us as leverage over us. You care about your life. You care about your stuff. You care about that job. You care about your possessions. But as a believer, take it. I've already given that up. That, that throne didn't mean a thing to Jonathan. Oh, you think you're going to take that away from me? I've already gave it up. And then when he sees this, he tries to kill his own son. Jonathan loved God so much that he gave up the kingdom. Jonathan's love for God causes him to love David in a sacrificial way. And it allowed him to be willing to be killed even by 
his own father. Where again do we see this? In Christ. He was willing to forsake the kingdom, to be forsaken by the Father, to accept death so that we, so that we could have the kingdom. Y'all, that's true love. And that kind of love goes beyond and it goes above. And so my question to you, how will you respond to Christ's love? Will you love like he's loved you or will you continue to go to the well that was never meant to satisfy you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. Now we thank you that when we read even texts like this, that it is a challenge to us. God, it is a challenge because we know if the standard of love is what Christ has done for us on the cross, then we fail to meet that standard. And so, God, we all, every single one of us, needs this working in ourselves that will make us love the way that we've been loved. God, it is not easy, and it requires more of us than what we're often willing to give. But Lord, my prayer is that for every line that we've drawn in the sand about how much we're going to love, I pray you wash them away. And you force us, when we love, to not look to ourselves and our limits, but to look to the cross of Christ and love the way we have been loved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.